0: To medication talk, the official podcast of TRC Healthcare, home of pharmacist's Letter, Prescribers Letter, Rx Advanced, and the most trusted clinical resources. On today's episode, we'll be listening in as our expert panel clears up confusion about which patients should avoid triptans due to cardiovascular concerns. Our guest today is headache medicine specialist Dr. Rebecca Birch. You'll also hear practical advice from panelists on TRC's editorial advisory board, Dr. Anthony Donato from the Reading Health System, Dr. Stephen Nissen from the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Joseph Sugar from Primary Care 365 and Eisenhower Health, and Dr. Craig Williams from the Oregon Health and Science University. This podcast is an extract from TRC's Emerging Recommendations Panel webinar. Each month, experts and frontline providers discuss current medication therapy topics and practical recommendations to include in TRC's letter articles. The full webinar originally aired on November 14,
1: 2022. And now, the CE information.
0: Pharmacist Letter offers CE credit for this podcast. Please log into to your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. For the purpose of disclosure, Dr. Stephen Nissen reports a relevant financial relationship by receiving grants or research support from AbbVie, Amgen, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Eli Lilly, Esperion, Medtronic, Novartis, Pfizer, and Silence Therapeutics. The other speakers you'll hear have nothing to disclose. All relevant financial relationships have been mitigated. Now, let's join TRC editor, Dr. Laurie Dickerson, and start our discussion. And we're talking about this
2: now because we're getting questions about which patients should avoid triptans due to cardiovascular concerns. And so, Rebecca, to get us started, could you briefly review for us what the package labeling does say about cardiovascular risks with triptans?
3: Yeah, I'm happy to. So currently, triptan package labeling says that triptans should be avoided in patients with a history of coronary artery disease or coronary artery vasospasm, um, Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, cardiac accessory, conduction pathway disorders, history of stroke, TIA, or hemiplegic, or what used to be called uh, basilar migraine is now migraine with brainstem aura, as well as peripheral vascular disease. And this came about because there were some uh, studies in animals prior to FDA approval of sumatriptan that showed uh, vasoconstriction, and this was also uh, shown in some early human studies as well. So that's how it, it came to be on the package.
2: So historically, this stems from some of these cases that you've mentioned, and the labeling was Tripcans you know, came out many, many years ago in the 1990s when maybe there were less rigorous requirements for including and labeling. So do you, can you just comment a little bit more about that, Rebecca, and how you think uh, some of this sort of maybe looser data ended up there?
3: Well, I do think that prior to um, knowing that this was a, a major issue, some patients with cardiovascular disease may have through in triptan trials. Um, I do think that regardless of cardiac risk, this is still an issue for, um, for some patients. It can be a little bit idiosyncratic and that um, you know, has, been, has been borne out um, in case studies after uh, approval. Great,
2: well, I want us to dig some more into that. And Steve, I guess I wanted to hear from you too, as a cardiologist, uh, as, you know your um, historical perspective on the safety of triptans in terms of cardiovascular risk?
4: I, I think some of this is historical. You know, uh, going back to the days when ergot preparations were used for migraine, and it was kind of assumed that triptans work by a similar mechanism. I'm not sure if they do or do not. It's, mm-hmm. it's extraordinary that something this important has not really been rigorously tested in large randomized controlled trials. I mean, how many millions of people have taken these drugs over the years and we still don't have definitive evidence? I've looked at the literature. Um, I'm not uh, impressed with the quality of the evidence one way or another. And so we're left with this, this theoretical issue without a lot of very good evidence that that's actually what we see in
2: and so Rebecca, just to get us all on the same page too, can you just speak to the mechanism of ergots versus the mechanism of tryptans, and sort of how those two might've been intertwined in terms of risk?
3: Yeah, so there was a, a historical thinking that tryptans primarily worked through a mechanism of vasoconstriction similar to ergots or the the thinking around how ergots may have worked as well. And as we know more about the pathophysiology of migraine, the thinking has really changed from it primarily being a vascular disorder to primarily being a neuronal disorder or a neurovascular disorder. And with that, our understanding of tryptan mechanism of action has changed to affecting release of neuropeptides, nociceptive neuropeptides, And, um, you know, things like CGRP, although that's not the only one, and really stopping an attack at the neuronal level.
2: And, Steve, to come back to, um, you know, the risk of myocardial infarction specifically, You know, I think originally the thought was that MIs were caused by vasospasm and that thinking has changed. And so can you comment a little bit about that change? Well,
4: that was hotly debated 50 years ago. (laughs) And that debate was, uh, you know, is no longer, you know, very commonly discussed. But there is one statement in your article that's not quite right. It says, now we know that most CV events are from plaque rupture and thrombosis. Actually, it's about two-thirds of MIs are from plaque rupture and thrombosis. About one-third are due to plaque erosion, which is a little bit of a different phenomenon. But there's really not a lot of evidence that they're due to vasoconstriction. And so this whole hypothesis around why tryptans might cause cardiovascular events, it kind of blows up in the contemporary uh, era.
2: So, Steve, how would you adjust this line um, to include plaque erosion? Uh, is there a, a, a sort of a broader term that we could use? Yeah, I would say here? that we know
4: that most cardiovascular events are not due to coronary vasospasm. Yeah. Okay. In fact, vasospasm is actually the so-called Prince Mendel's variant angina is practically completely disappeared for other reasons uh, from a contemporary medicine. It's no longer even diagnosis that we make.
2: Okay. I was going to ask you about Prince Metal because I wondered, uh, you know, certainly was something that we learned about years ago, but don't talk about today. So, yep. all right. Well, that's very helpful. Any um, other comments? Craig, did you have anything to add to this discussion? I thought- No, I mean, they're the all end.
1: great. Yeah, I know they're all great points. I think the will uh, echo Steve's earlier point about these really are kind of derivatives of the ergots, and I use the analogy of we still, you know, kind of paint metformin as this sun and carry over adverse effects from a parent drug that don't apply to it. I think that's kind of happened here, and I think it's maybe worth putting a line in about that for readers because we're also used to this warning for the last three decades. You know, it's going to take a little bit to get some people beyond this idea that I don't have to worry about, but I think the point is that it was painted with the adverse effects of ergots, and doses of ergots back in the 70s and 80s were, were high, and appropriate doses of of triptans, we don't have the same vascular effects systemically. Gotcha.
2: Okay, very helpful, very helpful. Now, um, if we just get back to um, the phrase that we have here about the thinking is changing on how triptans work. You know, Rebecca, in some of our early discussions with you, um, you know, you were talking about how this topic topic is difficult because we're in such a low evidence zone. And, um, you know, about the gray area that we have here. And can you, you just comment a little bit more on that? and um how it is hard to prove a negative.
3: Yeah, I I think there's two issues. So one thing I want to say about the discussion around the mechanism of um MI in patients who have taken triptans is not the necessarily that vasospasm is thought to be the only mechanism, but the reason that we're concerned about patients with other um cardiovascular risk factors is that if there's a partially blocked artery, and then there's a vasospasm on top of that, that that may put the patient at risk, not that it's vasospasm by itself. And I also want to point out that there have been numerous studies showing that tryptans by themselves are associated with um, coronary events in individual patients. Um, and that there are case studies still coming out. There was one published last year. Um, so it, it's not um, that this never happens. I think the question is how much do we have to worry about it? How likely is this risk? And, um, you know, is there a way we can predict? And I think one of the really difficult things, and, I, you know, this this was mentioned earlier, is that this is a really important question, and the evidence we have is, really challenging because the epidemiology studies that we have show that triptans are, if anything, um, they look protective against uh, cardiovascular events. But when you do a deeper dive into the um, studies, what you actually find is that's just because these triptans are just not prescribed to people with cardiovascular risk factors. And so what all of these studies actually show is that prescribers are doing a really great job of following the package labeling
4: yeah. i I would just maybe push back a little bit and just say that you know the the study I tried to look before this meeting at uh, at the studies, and they're just of terrible quality and mm-hmm. so it's hard to make a policy decision for FDA, it's really easy yeah, you know the the onus is on somebody else to prove that they're labeling is wrong and no one's gone after doing that. But I really don't find very much compelling evidence. Yes, people that have migraine sometimes have cardiovascular events. People that take tryptans have sometimes have events. That doesn't mean the tryptans cause that event. And so I'm looking for solid evidence and I'm just not finding
2: and so we, you make the point, Rebecca, you know, too, that uh, prescribers are doing a good job of following package labeling. But we do, we did find, and I think we have it in our article, too, that about 15% of patients who get a tra- trip down have at least one cardiovascular contraindication or multiple cardiovascular risk factors. So some of those people have, quote, slipped through the cracks. Um, and so, gosh, so many people want us to put a number needed to harm in here. You know, what is the number needed to harm? And, of course, we know that we don't have a number needed to harm uh, because we don't have, you know, good RCT data to help us uh, calculate that. So the phrasing that we have here in the next slide is that triptans are rarely associated with adverse cardiovascular events. And so I'm wondering um, what everybody thinks about this phrase and um, if we should say it differently, if we should say more. Or So, Rebecca, what are your thoughts here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the things I was thinking about before today's call is um, what is the rationale for wanting to be more liberal about um, triptan prescribing? And, you know, that's particularly the case now that we have alternatives that are not thought to cause vasoconstriction and are, you know, pretty effective. and. I I just tend to err a little bit on the side of caution um, simply because in the absence of good evidence for safety, I don't see a reason to change, to put somebody at, at potential risk. And I think there's always going to be individual prescriber variation and comfort levels and, you know, approach to decision making around mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel comfortable saying that, you know, the, the risk is low, but I also think it's important to say that we don't have a lot of evidence about safety in people with, you know, a large number of cardiovascular risk.
2: You know, Craig, I wanted to hear from you, too, because you had some good thoughts about sort of why we're rethinking this question now, which has to do with some of the newer medications that we have. So can you share your, your background, your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I just think the in the last decade, I mean, I'm old enough to remember all these debates from the '90s. And similar, Steve did some preparation for the meeting. And yeah, when you get back into that data, it was ex vivo and in vitro and interesting. And what these drugs clearly can do, like ergots, is slightly raise blood pressure. Um, but so many things raise I mean, having a migraine raises blood pressure, and mm-hmm. exercise raises blood pressure. And it was it was hard for me to find evidence to convince me that we should be worried about this, other than because we were worried about this, many patients were not included in the trials. They got triptans approved, so now we're trying to play catch up, and as Rebecca said, it's very hard to prove a negative, to prove these are safe. And as Steve said, it's easy for the FDA to say there's a theoretic concern, and these people weren't in the trials, so we're gonna exclude them. But in the real world, I think if we're stewards of the healthcare system, I mean, for about a third of patients who take triptans, they're really, really effective drugs at a small fraction of the cost of the agents that Rebecca is referring to. So Mm -hmm, I I don't see concerns to not at least try it in those patients, knowing that even if it does raise blood pressure slightly for a short time, I'm just not sure that's a valid concern for long-term cardiovascular
4: disease. Mm -hmm. in patients. Yeah. You know, ADHD drugs raise, raise blood pressure, but no, nobody seems to be afraid of giving them chronically and, you know, uh, these are not given necessarily chronically, is that correct? Right. Correct, these are intermittently. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I guess the, the, I also would echo what Craig said about the cost effectiveness issue, you know, not everybody can afford the latest, mm-hmm. the greatest uh, therapies. So if a time-honored therapy is effective, and we found out that many of them are, then, you know, we need to lift the veil off of it and, and allow people to use it. I think somebody, you know, maybe the NIH, you know, needs to, to fund a decent-sized trial mm-hmm. where people are, where we study this effect and, and find out if there really is anything to it or not.
1: Yeah, I do think too, Lori, I think if, uh, you know, the cynic community say the companies making these newer drugs, if they thought they had a case to make, they probably would do that. I mean, it'd be mm-hmm. fantastic if they could prove they were safer and get trip right. out of everyone's hands. Right. I don't see that coming.
2: Well, we we will talk about about that this is you know, such a great discussion uh, and this is why we wanted to pick this topic up because there's you know sort of this sort of new churning of um the grayness um, in in this risk and I appreciate all the sort of epidemiologic background that you 've given rebecca and you know one other point that we um, included in the article that we thought was interesting is that other countries have have their triptans quote over the counter. Uh, Now those are behind the counter that the patient has to ask the pharmacist for, but they, and certainly the pharmacist would have to ask some questions, but they do not have to be prescribed. And so that's just sort of an interesting tidbit too that, um, you know, sort of contrasts the difference uh, in in the U.S. labeling. And so just wondering if that's something that's commonly discussed, Rebecca, in in your literature and in the neurology headache literature.
3: Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, again, I, I don't think many headache specialists are terribly worried about, you know, a transient increase in in blood pressure either. So I think we're all, you know, in agreement on, on that point. Um, yeah. So triptans are behind the counter in the UK and Germany. And I believe just earlier this year, they went in that direction for Australia as well. There are some South American countries also that follow that but it doesn't mean over the counter in the same way that you can, you know, walk in and grab an ibuprofen, um, you know, off a shelf, you, you have to go talk to the pharmacist. They, at least in the UK, require that you check off, um, some questions saying that you don't have cardiovascular disease. So there is still some, um, you know, screening that happens. And uh, I agree that in the grand scheme of things, it does point to these, you know, being safe and well tolerated
2: okay well i just wanted to give that sort of more global perspective and so rebecca let's actually uh, you know turn around and talk about what we're going to do with all this information because it is of course nice to know that um, there's gray out there but the package labeling still says what it says and we still have patients who need treatment and so um, the first statement we have about what to do is Uh, about evaluating cardiovascular risk factors in patients with migraine um, and uh, treat those risk factors if needed. And so um, just curious from your perspective, we have an audience question, Rebecca, coming in, wondering if there is a specific risk estimator that we should use to evaluate whether or not uh, a patient should use a triptan or not, or is this just your clinical decision-making and your gestalt?
3: There is no specific risk uh, calculator that headache specialists use to make this decision. So we really just look at, um, you know, things like Framingham, um, you know, risk score and, uh, you know, other cardiovascular risk factors. The list that you have up there for things to ask is good. I would add diabetes to it. Okay.
2: As an additional thing to consider. And so Craig, I think you had some comments about this too. And you were wondering about, um, how we would estimate risk. Did you have any thoughts on, on this?
1: No, I mean, I think the global, we've had many debates about the, you know, the global yes. risk calculator, but I, I think that's still what we use it in practice. So this would be another good reason to use it. Uh, I think clinicians probably still underutilize that and, and don't mm-hmm. think about the combined risk of factors in patients as often as they sure. should. So, but have any better okay.
4: By the way, this would be a reasonable case for shared decision making. I think, you know, if you can present a patient with their Uh, their risk estimate based upon whatever risk formula you want to use and then discuss it with them. And there may be patients that that really are are finding these drugs to be highly effective. And, you know, they certainly don't want to stop them. And it's a Mm -hmm. chance for some shared decision making.
2: Good point, Steve, and I skipped over that line. We do have that uh, further up in the article that says help patients put the risk of triptans in perspective. And so I appreciate that you brought that up. And so if we talk about our um, patients with um, uh, um, a low cardiovascular risk first, that end of the spectrum, uh, we make the statement to continue to consider triptans for patients at low cardiovascular risk, such as those with blood pressure at goal or in a statin for high cholesterol. And so, Rebecca, I'm assuming that you will agree with this statement. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and Joe, I'm just curious as a primary care doc, as a family doc, um, how do you feel about using triptans in patients with low cardiovascular risk like this if you were treating, if you were giving them an, uh, an abortive agent for their migraine?
4: I'm uh, completely comfortable, and I do it on a regular basis. So uh, I, I don't worry about uh, people with low cardiovascular risk. You know, okay. sometimes with advanced age, it makes me a little more nervous. But uh, you know, so far, uh, you know, those are not people that are getting migraines near as commonly mm-hmm. aged people.
2: You know, I'm glad you brought that up. We do have a line further down um, where we say it's okay if an older patient on BP meds opts for a triptan. Um, and so that you've now that you've brought up age, Rebecca, do you, would you agree with that statement? Sort of thinking about. The cumulative risk of age and hypertension, treated hypertension.
3: I don't think of age by itself necessarily as a risk factor. I think that as people get older, they tend to accumulate other cardiovascular risk factors, and so this is a a place where again that kind of holistic, um, you know, perception and of of risk comes into play. and But I, I had, you know, have plenty of patients who are older and on triptans, uh, you know, and they don't have other contraindications and I don't have any issue with that at all. Okay, very good.
2: And Andy, I wanted to ask you too, we are using this piece in our hospital pharmacist letter and, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we're, in general, Triptans are not used in the hospital and we say for acute treatment continue to use things like IV procorparazine or metoclopramide. Is that consistent with your practice, Andy?
1: That is. Um, I do use triptans for people that are in for something else and triptans always work for them if they mm-hmm. if they get them, but I'm I'm not necessarily introducing them to people that that are de novo.
2: Okay, great point and that might be a good little Tidbit for us to include also in this piece um, with that pearl. Thank you so much for that. Now, Rebecca, um, we do state that there's no proof that certain triptans, dosage forms, or lower doses pose less cardiovascular risk. Would you agree with that statement? Is one triptan safer than another?
3: Yeah, I looked through the literature and I did not see any evidence that any one triptan has been compared to any other in this regard. So I, I agree with that. Okay. So let's look at
2: the other end of the spectrum now, high cardiovascular risk. Uh, Rebecca, we say to avoid triptans in patients at the highest cardiovascular risk, such as those with a prior MI stroke or su- subarachnoid hemorrhage. I think those are pretty clear contraindications. Would you agree with that? Yes. And the question that comes up is what does prior MI mean? Is that mm-hmm. ever? Is it recent?
3: Um, you boundary that. <laughs> I think it's meant to be ever, but there I mentally carve out a patient who has had angioplasty and a subsequent clean calf. Um, obviously, I'd be interested in, you know, hearing yeah. other opinions about that and what um, Craig thinks.
2: Yeah. What, what do you think, Craig and, and Steve, on, on, on that sort of prior MI definition?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, if you can find that patient, well, let's see if you can find that patient with an otherwise clean cath after, a, that'd be an uncommon patient, but yeah.
4: You, you know, the, the thing I'm struggling with here is that we say high, high risk, but we're really trying to make this recommendation in the absence of solid data. So we can pick any threshold of risk that we want. I did want to mention something about this issue of age. If okay. you look at the pooled cohort equation once you get to be a certain age, you are, you are high risk by mm-hmm. definition. It's mm-hmm. all age driven. And so uh, I don't know that, while age may be irrelevant to the practitioner, it isn't irrelevant to the guideline writers nor to the, the mm-hmm. risk calculators. Risk estimators. So, yeah. so you've really got a problem here in that everybody who's older is gonna have a high cardiovascular, just about. <laughs>
2: And so let's talk about those in between people, Rebecca. And we say for everyone in between, discuss the pros and cons and think of cardiovascular risks as additive. And so I think that's, um, that's wording that you shared with us when you're thinking about these folks that, you know, maybe age and diabetes and, and, uh, uncontrolled hypertension, for example, would, would add up and uh, tip you towards a different agent. And so, uh, would you, Agree with sort of that phrasing that we have there. If you go to that uh, next set slide, I think we have an example of um, you know when some ca- a case where we might choose to do something different. So, could you comment on the cardiovascular multiple cardiovascular risks? I'm sorry, I got a little ahead of myself there, Rebecca. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I think that wording, um, you know, I, I, I agree with, with what I, I guess had suggested before. Um, I really like the suggestion for shared decision making because I do think that these are always individualized decisions. It depends on what the risk factors are, how much they're felt to contribute, whether they're modifiable in any way, whether other treatments are, you know, accessible as the point was made, whether they work. Um, how often, you know, someone needs treatment, how severe the headaches are and how they're impacting quality of life. You know, there's so many, um, factors and I think it's, again, we're in a gray area and I think gray areas are where shared decision making and individualized treatment decisions really, um, are, are extremely important. Not that they're not important elsewhere, but yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, in the on the point of that point, just briefly as I was reading this, I was curious about we don't say anything about NSAIDs, which are an interesting parallel to this mm-hmm. whole discussion. I don't know, maybe it's better for the detailed document, but I don't know like where Rebecca's at on a once a week a board of dose in these types of patients.
3: Yeah, I mean, in general, based on my understanding of the literature, if I'm worried about their cardiovascular risk from a triptan standpoint, then I'm worried about it for NSAIDs also. Um, and so I, I sort of think of them in tandem.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not untrue, and I'm curious if it's but, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't have a problem with an A6 and 800 milligram ibuprofen dose once a week. These well, patients, and it gets into and Steve can disagree, but you know it gets in like <laughs> chronic and how often, and you know. Yeah, but but I've said yeah. is over the counter to your point earlier as well. Our patients are already right. using those
4: therapies. Right, actually. right, right, Steve. I don't disagree, Craig. I, I just, yeah. you know, I I I think the point about you know NSAIDs is that they have their own sh- a set of risks. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Renal
4: risk, cardiovascular risks. Right. right. You know. And and I think there's also the issue of the severity of symptoms here. That's why shared decision-making is so important. It's, I mean, I have patients of mine that have just disabling migraine brain disease that are hard to manage. And so they have to be treated differently than people that have an occasional.
2: Right.
1: Bite.
4: Don't, For don't sure. you think that's true? Yeah.
2: You know, Rebecca, I want to go back to this wording. We're getting some questions about, we say, for instance, consider neuromeds um, that don't cause vasoconstriction for patients with multiple cardiovascular risks. And so I guess uh, the questions are coming in, you know, were patients with cardiovascular disease included in these clinical trials with the, uh, the uh, DITANs and the JEPINs, um like NERTEC and RAVAL? Can you comment on that?
3: Yes. Yes. So those patients were included in those studies, and and those uh, both all of the new acute treatments have also had dedicated cardiac safety um, trials. All of which have not shown none of which have shown any issues.
2: Okay. Very good. And we also have some questions about you know previously we have um, you know talked about the word vasoconstriction um, with respect to the mechanism of action of triptans that they. Uh, Don't cause vasoconstriction, um, and they work through serotonin. And here in our in our piece about the newer meds, we say that these also don't cause vasoconstriction. So there's a little bit of uh, confusion there, and I guess I want to be sure that you're okay with our wording there to say that these newer meds don't cause vasoconstriction. Are you good with that wording?
3: Yeah, that is that is the wording. That I mean, I instead of don't cause, it might be fairer to say, uh, you know, are believed not to cause or Um, you know, right. have, have not been found or something because, you know, mm-hmm. they could always find out tomorrow that they do.
2: Well, that's why we were thinking about changing that wording to say haven't yet been linked to cardiovascular events. These, these newer agents haven't yet been linked to cardiovascular events. And is that misleading or is that more truthful to what we actually know today?
3: As far, I mean, I they've looked the there have been many studies of cardiovascular safety um for all CGRP targeted medications because it's one of the sort of um you know predicted side effects of these medications and there has been no signal of um you know cardiovascular um mm-hmm. adverse events or risks associated. Okay.
2: And- Greg, do you have any thoughts on that wording about, you know, the newer meds? You had made a comment or question about them, you know, and their cardiovascular risk. What do you think about our wording here?
1: Yeah, like everything Rebecca said is true. And and certainly I think about kind of systemic vasoconstriction versus we're now on this neurogenic origin of, I mean, this is clear there's a vascular component to this disease, but it's more locally and neurogenic rather than systemic. And so Mm -hmm. that is true. These newer meds do not cause hypertension and, and yeah, as yet not linked to cardiovascular
2: events. As yet not linked to cardiovascular events.
0: We hope you enjoyed and gained practical insights from listening into this discussion. Now that you've listened, you can receive CE credit from Pharmacist Letter. Just log into your Pharmacist Letter account and look for the title of this podcast in the list of available CE courses. If you're not yet a Pharmacist Letter subscriber, find out more about our product offerings at trchealthcare.com. Be sure to follow or subscribe, rate, and review this show in your favorite podcast app. It helps spread the word about our show and is a great way for you to let us know how we're doing. You can also reach out to provide feedback or make suggestions by emailing us at contactus at trchealthcare.com. Thanks for listening to Medication Talk.